0: In our culture today, the church is suffering from a diminished view of effectiveness and credibility. Issues of pastoral failures, political involvement or over-involvement, and individual interactions with congregants are some of the issues that have contributed to this phenomenon. Those outside of the church stand in judgment and their belief and conviction that the Christian faith must be a myth while those inside of the church withdraw and forsake the assembling together as commanded in Scripture, because of disillusionment or because of church hurt. In either case, people are responding to their inability to reconcile their notion of the church in general, what it is and what it should be about, with their observation of or their lived experience within a local church. Unfortunately. It is the practice of many churches and members to respond with a spiritual arrogance that places the blame solely on unbelievers and on the believers who have left the church. These churches fail to recognize that the inability for some to reconcile their expectations of the church and their experiences with the church is attributable to both their own understanding of the church and also how the church shows up in its communal life. A church that deters unbelievers and discourages believers is an indication of a church whose communal life is not shaped by baptism and communion. This is more than just the mere practice of these ordinances, but it involves the understanding of their significance, which is born out of consistent, clear, and accurate teaching of God's Word. In this series, we will briefly explore how an accurate understanding of the universal church based on God's word, leads to a high view of the role that baptism and communion plays in the communal life of the church, and is ultimately sustained by the biblical, godly exercise of discipline within the local church. So let's get to it. I'm uh, really excited about uh, starting this series and kicking off this topic, but at the same time, I'm a bit apprehensive about it as well. See, on the one hand, I'm excited to wade into this area because it almost seems like it has become trendy or fashionable to not be connected to a church. To be Christian or spiritual and not be affiliated with organized religion or with a uh, organized structured denomination. And people are kind of wearing it like a badge of honor. I've seen, uh, you know, several posts on social media where people say, Hey, look, I I still love Jesus, but I just can't do church or, uh, you know, I love Christ, but I just can't get down with his folks and those kinds of things. And people are kind of proudly displaying this, this disconnect that they've created or this dividing line that they've created um, like a badge of honor. And I believe that there are dangers in that mindset and there, there are some dangers in that having that kind of a perspective. Uh, and I've kind of come to that conclusion, not because I've just sat around and thought about it and kind of reasoned in my own mind that there are dangers and pitfalls, having that kind of mindset. But I really arrived at that conclusion because scripture tells us that there are benefits to being affiliated and being connected to an established body of believers. And it stands to reason that if there are benefits to being connected, then there are dangers to being disconnected from uh, a body of believers. However, like I said, right, I'm excited about the series. I'm also apprehensive And, and, and maybe apprehensive isn't the best word, maybe cautious is is a better way of describing it because I know that one of the main reasons that people give for not attending church or having attended and, and then leaving a church is because they've suffered some type of hurt from that church. And I want to say, look, I, I acknowledge and I definitely believe that people, that believers and unbelievers have had uh, difficult, painful, traumatic experiences as a result of their affiliation or connection to a local church. To push this even further, right, I'm of the mindset that you either have had church hurt experience, are having a church hurt experience, or will experience a church hurt uh, scenario or situation either directly or indirectly. I myself have been involved in a painful experience within the body of the church that didn't affect me I would say directly, but definitely indirectly. And you're trying to process and move through kind of what just happened here and why did this happen and how could this happen? Uh, those kinds of thoughts. And so one thing I, I definitely want to encourage uh, folks who are either have come out of a, of a hurtful church experience, may even be experiencing one right now, is in addition to being prayerful about it and, you know, definitely seeking out God's word. As to what, you know, the true church looks like and what our responses should be in those moments, don't forsake necessarily reaching out to, you know, biblically um, based counselors and therapists who can also help you process and heal through what, um, for some, has been a very emotional and hurtful. Uh, experience and season of their lives. Uh, I know that sometimes within the church community, right, it can be frowned upon if you're getting counseling and and looking for um, some help from a therapist. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, provided that those counselors and therapists that you're going to are have a biblical worldview, right, and are giving you not worldly instruction and wisdom, but are giving you instruction and wisdom um, that is based on God's word and then is seasoned and not seasoned, but also uh, combined with their training in that area to really help guide you through the process of healing. And so with that being said, right, my intent in this series is not to try to unpack and diagnose the different manifestations of of church hurt and all the different ways it can look and and kind of trying to take apart why certain things happen and how you should respond to that. I, I would not even try to wade into that area, but instead what, what I'm trying to do is, is a little bit of a higher level, and, and I'm trying to accomplish really two things. Um, the first thing that I'm trying to accomplish is is aimed at those who have been hurt in church, or like I said before, maybe you, you've you been hurt or currently in a situation where you're experiencing some hurt and some pain, or uh, it's on the horizon. Uh, and and uh, there's a season maybe that you don't even know about that you may be moving into and that is to make a case for not throwing the proverbial baby out with the bathwater and to be able to see the church where you experienced that hurtful situation as a poor representation of the true church versus as a proxy for all churches to really be able to make a distinction between whether or not uh, this thing that i experienced is unique to this body <laughs> that i just happened to be connected to Versus this thing that I experienced is a is a symptom of all of the bodies of believers around Uh, and really to be able to not get into a a knee jerk reaction that causes us to disconnect from the whole body of believers versus being able to really be focused in and, and understanding that, hey, something happened at this place not necessarily at every place that calls itself a church. And then secondly, right in addition to being able to create that case for not lumping all churches in together, what I want to also do is for those who are a part of a church that was hurtful or did disillusion people, I'm hoping that this series will cause some self-reflection and some self-evaluation of how well the communal life of your church body actually aligns with the Christ-centered community of believers that we're called to be, as indicated by the ordinances of baptism and communion, and basically held in check by the exercise of church discipline. And you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, hold on, Charles, how did you just kind of slide baptism, communion, and church discipline into uh, the conversation here. And, and again, as we move through this series, what I'm hoping to really be able to uh, help us see clearly is that baptism and communion aren't just kind of things that we do, but they are highly significant and important when it comes to identifying and and being able to characterize, maybe that's a better way of saying it, what the communal life of a church should be about. And then those things are, when they're practiced and practiced well with understanding, they're held in check by the exercise of church discipline. And I'm not talking about, you know, old world kind of, uh, you know, parading you through the town with a scarlet letter on your chest kind of church discipline, but church discipline that follows a biblical Instructions and mandates, as laid out in Scripture, that has with an with that has as its goal an eye towards restoration, reconciliation, and not uh, embarrassment and and shame as its um, result. And so, uh, in, in keeping with that, what I'd like to do is kind of just establish here at the very beginning um, a foundational point or premise, and and that is I'll just say it at the at the onset of the series that I believe that if it is right to be in the fellowship of other believers then it is wrong to be outside of that fellowship uh, and that we should be looking to be connected with a healthy local church body uh, that claims Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and, and holds the, the scripture, the God's word in high esteem. and And just as a um, launching point for the entire series, I want to start uh, in Hebrews uh, chapter 10 verses 24 through 25 and this is very familiar scripture and and it's the one that I'm sure that you've heard and most of us uh, when we think about church attendance, this is what uh, we've heard all our lives. As, as a case being made for why you need to go to church or be, I, I think it's probably better to say why you need to be connected to a body of believers and what the benefits are from that connection. So let's just move through this and really kind of establish this as our foundation. So um, in Hebrews 10 verses 24 through 25 and reading from the English Standard Version, Uh, you'll find these words. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so there's a couple of of, of observations I want to make here, just kind of moving through this, uh, these two verses and, and as the, as the old preachers may say, we won't be here very long. Um, the first thing when we look at kind of the first part of verse 24 and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Um, the first thing I want to talk about really is that, that there is an intentional purpose and a benefit to believers coming together. The, the Hebrew writer makes it clear that, um, when, when believers come together, right, there is this mutual benefit As they come together in community and and live life and do life together, namely um, that they are and we are as believers being stirred up. Uh, Another way to say that is being encouraged or being admonished to achieve two different things. One is to love and one is to do good works. And this stirring up and this encouragement, this admonishment to, to love and to do good works is happening in two ways, I believe, in that context of us coming together. Uh, it, the first way it's happening is theoretically. And then the second way it's happening is practically. It's happening theoretically, Uh, through the preaching and the teaching of God's Word, right? When we come together and uh, the pastor, the preacher, the teacher is expounding upon teaching from a passage of scripture that's encouraging us to reflect and to reflect uh, the nature of God and as manifested and and put on display in the life of Christ when he is encouraging us to um, live out this newness of life that we now have in Christ, then we are getting through the preaching and the teaching of God's word a theoretical stirring up of loving one another and of doing good works right we're we're being stirred up and encouraged to do those things the second thing though that we see is that not only is this happening theoretically but it's also happening practically uh, and and it's happening practically because yes it's it's good to get the theoretical teaching but now I've got to kind of put that into practice and, and live it out kind of in shoe leather. And so just by us trying to live in community with other sinners who have been saved by grace and are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, now I'm I'm in the practice of exercising what I've been stirred up and encouraged to do. And so we you have both things happening. And I think uh, that this is why Uh, The, the idea of, Hey, I, I just kind of, um, I'm a Christian and I just, I get my, you know, my word and my teaching online, or I get it through a podcast like what you're listening to here as, as being my sole means of, of kind of being built up into the stature of Christ. It's helpful, but it, it's not, it's not complete, right? Because I'm getting instruction now i'm not able to kind of put it into practice within the community of other believers and and the reason why it's important that that practice is happening within the community of believers uh, is is because cuz you could argue right well I, you know I'm, I'm getting the instruction charles and and i'm around believers at work or i'm around, around believers in my family or i'm around believers in my community or my neighborhood rather and uh, you know i'm 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 doing it there uh, but but I would push back a little bit and say that there's something different happening uh, when you're living in community with a local body of believers on a regular basis and one one thing is is that because everybody in that community is being encouraged and stirred and stirred up uh, by the same preaching and teaching right uh, and then working to kind of put that into practice, what you end up seeing I think is an extension of grace between folks who say, yes, we, we understand that we're all receiving the same teaching, trying to live up to that level of, of theoretical encouragement. And then we, we are now trying to practice that with one another and it becomes kind of a safe environment to do that in or at least it should be a safe environment because i know that you're not perfect you know that i'm not perfect and we're both imperfectly trying to live out this newness of life that we have as followers of Christ Jesus now continuing through the verse uh, the writer goes on to say not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, and I think this is interesting uh, that even in the days of the newly formed church, right? And we're talking, you know, within a couple of years, decades after uh, the resurrection of Christ, that you have people not coming together, that we have folks not going to church. Right? So this is not just some recent phenomenon, or just something that is is postmodernism kind of a, of a. Uh, of, of an effect of us believing that we just don't need it. But we see right that there were some during the time of this early church who were not coming together to worship and to fellowship with other believers. And we don't really know their reasons and rationales. I actually think that that's a good thing because it would allow us to kind of parse and piece out, well, that's applicable to be not applicable to me. My reason is is more of a reason for not going than their reason was. So The admonition to go doesn't apply because mine is more serious. You know, all these kinds of reasons we would come up with. But whatever the rationale and reasons were for those who had kind of formed the habit of not going to church, it's clear that the writer of Hebrews believes that the benefit of coming together kind of outweighs those reasons that some had for not coming together. And then lastly, uh, the writer says, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And I think when I look at this, one, one of the things that kind of jumps out to me is that believers should be encouraged and not discouraged as a result of having spent time with other believers. And that, you know, is like a, a stating the obvious, but unfortunately that's not the experience, right? We just talked about folks being hurt as a result of sometimes their interaction with the body of believers. But when we come together, We should be leaving more encouraged than we came in. Now, let me make a distinction here between, you know, encouragement or discouragement and conviction. I'm not saying that when you come to church, you should always just feel good about everything that's going on in your life. There is a level of of conviction that should be happening, right? If you're going to a healthy church because they're teaching the Word of God, they're holding up the standard of what this newness of life looks like in Christ. And when a light is shined on areas of our lives that don't meet that, uh, there should be some conviction that says, "Hmm, yeah, you know what? I do need to submit more to the Lord in that area. Or, yep, you're right. I do need to be more prayerful about that part of my walk, whatever the case may be. And so that conviction that is spurring us to to be, you know, More like Christ is a natural part of the sanctification process, right? As, as the Holy Spirit is remaking us, as we are able to move on the journey and look back and say, wow, I've grown. We also look forward to the standard who is Christ to say, but there's still more work that the Holy Spirit needs to do in me. So I'm not talking about the conviction that comes from right preaching of God's word, but more uh, about the confidence, the Kind of the disposition we have of, of being able to just live this life and to kind of move forward in, uh, the, the life of a believer that when we come together with other believers, we should leave encouraged that we can do it, that we can make it, that, that we've got a support group, that we've got a structure that's there to, to help and who believes in us and who can support us and, and that, that is safe and all those types of things. And lastly, in that same section, right, he says, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, uh, it lets us know that our coming together is an ongoing event. It 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 happens until either the little D-day that we die or the big D-day of Christ's return. Uh, There's not this sense of we go until we think we've kind of arrived. We We go until we get through this tough season of our lives when we're dealing with something uh, traumatic in our uh, personal lives, or we go until we, we just feel like we don't need it anymore. But there is this constant routine of coming together until, like I said, we either have transition or Christ comes back. And, and to kind of bottom line all of this, I, I think there's a, a couple of takeaways. And, and again, what I'm kind of using as the foundation for this whole series is that what's what's key to believers being the new creations and and living the new lives that Christ made possible through his death and his resurrection is a connection to and a connect and interaction with not just a connection but interaction with a healthy local body of believers and and the writers of the new testament do not have a construct they don't have a concept or or uh, or instructions for A believer in Christ who's living a life intentionally disconnected from other believers. Now, hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you can't find examples of believers who maybe have been isolated. John on the island of Patmos, for instance, in writing Revelation. But I'm talking about intentionally living disconnected from a healthy local body of believers. There is no, like I said, context or Concept or instructions for that from the writers of the New Testament, and I I think our challenge as we move through this series is to to kind of reconcile that with what we see then as the as the writer of Hebrews is addressing, and now right is that we see some believers that have forsaken the, the assembling together with other believers for different reasons, uh, and as we walk through this series. What I'm hoping is that we begin to have a biblical lens of what the church is, and what the church should be, and then what our response should be within that context when we are relating with one another, but then also when we see failures within that structure. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Complete in Christ podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode or series, you can send them to questions at complete in podcast.org. Please include your name, where you're from and the specific episode you're referencing. Also, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It gives us feedback that helps us to keep improving and provide some insight for those who may be listening for the very first time. Again, my name is Charles Wright. And until next time, be blessed.